I can blame this on my father, I understand, because <laughs> he's the one that got this, uh, or pushed to get a, a um, sorry, a screen up here. <laughs> and um, I hear it was one of his, his greatest accomplishments <laughs> while he was here. <laughs> All right. Okay, good. That looked good. So, yeah, it is good to be here with you all. And I'm not sure the first time we were here was, was kind of thinking through that when I was at the conference this weekend. And I think it's something like 12 to 14 years ago, something like that. So it was pre-kids, I know that, and uh, I, you know, interestingly enough, it was my, my dad who said, hey, there's an opportunity for pulpit supply at Coal Creek Church, you know, um, I can't make it, why don't you go, and I think you could do Sunday school and share a little bit about Russia, too. And at that point, we were just at the very beginning of starting to think about ministry uh, in Russia, so um, we've... Uh, We've progressed a little bit since then, and, and there's our kids. You can, you can see them uh, back there sitting with Yulia as well. Um, but uh, we went through a, a long journey of getting to Russia, and I personally made 16 flights to Russia before we moved there full-time. And many of those were ministry trips, uh, training, uh, and doing some of the things that we did after we were there. You know, Our purpose for being there was to help uh, send out uh, men and women from local churches to plant more churches on Sakhalin Island, Far East Russia, which is just north of Japan. Only 1% um, of uh, Russians are believers in Christ, and so there's a great need. And so you know, we've been there for the last four years, but as, as most of you know, uh, God decided that the time for us being there was going to conclude, and we weren't really ready for that. But uh, God has other plans, and so we trust him. So uh, it was uh, about a Thursday, uh, February 24, I believe, uh, when we first heard that Russia had invaded Ukraine. We waited a little bit to find out what that would look like. But uh, on Monday, um, I got messages from my family telling me that in case I didn't know, the consul was advising Americans to leave. I got a call from from one of uh, the people at BMW that's uh, fairly high up, Biblical Ministries Worldwide, as you guys know. And he said, well, we would like to get you on the first plane to anywhere. And uh, then the next day we found out that all the oil companies were getting their employees off the island and basically selling and just leaving Russia altogether. So all of this was pretty alarming to us. And at first we decided we were gonna stick it out, but then we decided, uh, we probably should get out at least for a while because everything was changing quickly. We just didn't know whether we would have to be separated, um, whether uh, they might let me out or force me out but not let my family out because they're Russian citizens. They're all dual citizens. So we decided that we would try to get out as soon as possible and finally worked that out and, and got a flight um, right there at the end of the week. So 10 days after the war started, we were on a flight uh, getting 
out of Russia. And that was an interesting process. It's so fascinating. I heard Robert had our, like our flight tracker up here so you could see where we were at that time. And there were clearly people praying for us. And I've said several times, uh, it was really a surprisingly smooth process getting out of Russia. We didn't expect it to be so smooth. God didn't have to make it that smooth for us, but he did. And I know that a lot of you were praying for us that process. So we're so thankful for, for that and that we're able to get out safely. Uh, about a, a month later, uh, in fact, it was Easter morning when we heard that my residency had been revoked. And I was, uh, they checked the box that said I was uh, trying to violently overthrow the Constitution of Russia. So, which I wasn't, uh, just for the record, but they had to check some box and they only had a small selection. So that's the one they checked. And so uh, that means that it will not be easy for us to return. We are in a process over the next year of seeing what God has next for us. So thankful for our sending church because they had a position ready for us when we got there. And they said, well, we'll just put you on staff and you can be here as long as you need to. Uh, and while you figure out what's next. And then they had a ministry that we could jump into. They're working to revitalize a small church in Tacoma, um, a, a small church in a big building, and a few families are going from Sunset to that church, and I'm going to be kind of a, an interim pastor for a year. And yeah, my dad got a smile out of that one because he said, oh, I know something about that. So we're, we're comparing notes. Um, but also so thankful for you guys and, and your prayer and your support and, and your help. And, and there was one time when Robert was up our way and he said, I've, I've got something in my van for you. You know, and there's a couple of boxes and lots of gift cards and stuff. And we're, we still haven't actually used all the stuff we got yet uh, because there was so much there. So thank you for caring for us. And I know there is there was certainly a spirit to do even more, <laughs> but so many people helped us that uh, very quickly there wasn't much other help that we needed as far as tangible things. So thank you so much uh, for that and for just partnering with us and just continue to pray for what God has next. Uh, it's, it's fascinating to see what he's doing. So we're interested in seeing where he leads us next. Pray for the ministry in Russia. Uh, we didn't finish everything we wanted to do but we know that there are men who are trained who can go out and pastor other churches and start new churches. So we, we're praying that, that God would send them out and that this younger generation that we are working with will do uh, great things in Russia. And we trust that into God's hands as we look for what's next. So happy to talk with you more about that. Uh, but uh, I am mindful of the fact that I don't have unlimited time up here. Though, as I told someone this morning, I'm just the guest speaker, so I don't have to deal with you next week. Uh, you know. Um, anyway, uh, I want to go uh, today to uh, 1 Timothy and uh, look at a passage from 1 Timothy. Thank you so much for the scripture reading. I'm sure that was probably at your instigation, Robert. Uh, perfect. A passage that I wanted to talk a little bit about. And now I don't have to talk as much about it because it was read. But this passage in 1 Timothy that we'll look at, Paul shares some of his own personal experience, basically using himself uh, as uh, an example uh, of the gospel. And one of the things that you may think of when you think of a missionary is 
it sounds like one of those amazing things. And you think, well, I could, sometimes I'll hear people say, I could never do what you're doing. And uh, then we, you think about everything that goes into getting into the mission field. And if you're here uh, for Sunday school this morning, you see this whole cycle of, uh, that Mark shared about reaching people, this hard work that it takes to be able to do all of this work of missions. Yet in the middle of all of this complexity, there's a very simple concept that has to do with you and me and it has to do with Paul. And he shares about himself and what God does through him in a very simple way that applies to us as well. And, and through that, I think you can see how uh, all of us uh, are missionaries and can be used by God in that way. And, and we're all certainly uh, messengers of the glorious gospel. And First Timothy, Paul writing to Timothy, who is pastoring in Ephesus, where Paul spent a lot of time. He starts by addressing some different um, issues and problems, some doctrinal disputes that are, they're dealing with, some false teaching that surround um, kind of some things that are, that are uh, you know, uh, based on Jewish uh, teaching, but kind of going astray as well. Uh, also some concepts about the law, where they're not teaching the law properly. And then Paul looks at the gospel. And we see in verse 11, or I'll start, uh, well, yeah, verse 11, right at the end of verse 10, he mentions that this is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the glory, with the gospel of glory of the blessed God uh, with which I have been entrusted. And so he's talking about the glory of the gospel, and then he steps into his own uh, example of his own journey that he has here. So let's look at verse 12 of 1 Timothy 1. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the, God, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul begins to talk about the, the gospel, the glorious gospel of which he is a messenger, and then he begins to use himself as an example. And Paul talks about himself and his journey several different times. And as we look at this this morning, there's, there's one sentence that I have that basically captures this and will capture all the points this morning. We are saved through the gospel of glory so that we will become messengers of the gospel of glory to the honor and glory of God. We are saved through the gospel of glory so that we will become messengers of the gospel of glory to the honor and glory of God. This is what you see in, in Paul's life. It is very simple, and I think you'll see that God does the same thing uh, in each of our lives. So the first thing we see, we are saved through the gospel of glory, and Paul begins to reflect on how he has served the Lord and his calling. And we see in verse 12, he's, 
He's thankful for his calling. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And uh, we see that Paul immediately credits God as the one who gives him strength to be able to do what God has called him to do. Uh, And he also says something interesting because he says, God judged me faithful. Now, a couple of things here, when he's using this past tense, he judged, he is pointing to a particular point in time of his calling. And I think what you'll see here is, as we looked at today, when you, when you saw in Acts 9, his conversion, Paul's salvation and his calling happened basically at the same time. Now, sometimes we think that we are, we are, we are saved And then we kind of hang out for a while and grow. And then there is this point where God calls us to some ministry. But when you look at the Apostle Paul, you see that right away, God reveals that he had a plan for him. In fact, we see it in, in Acts 9. I'm just turning there briefly. He says, God says to Ananias, when, when he had the, the privilege of going and and helping Paul remove the scales from his eyes so he could see, and he was a little bit nervous about it, God said, well, I actually have a plan for him. He said in verse 15, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And so right there, God is revealing his plan that he has for Paul. He chose him for a reason. So remember that, because this is really key to this text that we're looking at in 1 Timothy today. But we also see that in verse 20, um, that immediately, immediately Paul, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying he is the Son of God. So he did not have to go to a course on evangelism or seminary or Bible college or something like that. Not even Sunday school, really. I mean, right away... Paul is going from being saved, spending a little bit of time with the disciples, and he's teaching Christ in the synagogue. And and so you see Paul jumping into ministry right away. You see God's call to Paul in ministry right away. And we see that, that Paul recognizes that right here as he talks about this in verse 12 and is thankful for the God um, who gives him strength. And when we see, judge me faithful... It can't be that God said, well, Paul is really faithful, so I'm going to give him ministry. Because his calling happened almost simultaneously. So when you see, judge me faithful, what, we, what this has to be saying is that God judged that Paul would be faithful and gave him ministry. And why would he be faithful? Because he's the God who's giving Paul the strength to be faithful. So basically, God is looking at his own faithfulness that will work its way through Paul and his own strength that he will give Paul and putting him in ministry. And everything that Paul is doing here is completely by God's strength. And um, a verse that was also on um, Mark's list today as he was uh, reading it, if we uh, flip over to Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 1. Um, I love this little section here in Colossians 1.28. I know you guys have been going through Colossians. Um, I don't know when you were in this section, but 
just looking here really briefly, Paul says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone uh, with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so Paul there talking about his desire to produce mature believers, just like the Great Commission calls us to do. But how is he doing this? Is it by his own power? It's not. He says he's working with all of, of his energy that he powerfully works within him. This is what he's doing to the power of the Holy Spirit, not by his own strength. He is relying completely and totally on the power of the Holy Spirit. So when you look at, at the call to ministry right here, we see Paul's thankfulness for what God is doing in him, the strength that he gives Paul to be able to do what he calls Paul to do. The first thing he's reflecting on is his, his thankfulness for his calling. And uh, I think uh, we can, can reflect on that as well because uh, God, it is God who gives us the strength to do what he calls us to do. It is not by our own strength. It is not by our own power. It is entirely by his strength. And so Paul understands that and knows that. But in the next uh, verses, we see that Paul reflects on who he was before he was saved. And Paul knew who he was before he was saved. And we see in verse 12, he says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and, uh, and in unbelief. And so these are strong words. Um, a blasphemer, um, someone who is uh, abusive in speech. And when you look back at Acts, you, you see things like, you hear like Paul breathing murderous threats. Uh, this was a man who had strong words and, and evil words were coming out of his mouth. Um, he was a persecutor. He was killing Christians. Um, an insolent opponent. Um, one commentator said that this could be equivalent to uh, wickedness. He says that wickedness becomes insolence when it is done out of overwhelming pride or arrogance. So wickedness with overwhelming pride and arrogance. He wasn't just persecuting Christians. He knew he was right. He knew they were wrong. And he was proud of what he was doing. He wasn't just killing Christians. He was proud of killing Christians. And so that shows you the kind of person that Paul was. He was not the kind of person that would have been loved. He was probably the last person that anyone expected to be saved. But what do we see here? We see that he received mercy. This man received mercy. And he says, because I acted ignorantly in, in unbelief, which is basically pointing to the fact that although he was a vile person, he was not disqualified from God's mercy. Uh, he probably, like many people, had never clearly um, heard and understood the truth of the gospel. And, and that's where it starts when people come to Christ is hearing and understanding the truth of the gospel. But when he heard it, when he was confronted on the, on the road uh, by Christ himself, um, Paul uh, repented and Paul turned to Christ. Well, we see also that Paul knew who, uh, Paul, um, knew who saved him. 
And we see that in verse 14, he received the grace. We see verse 14, And the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And I love uh, when Paul talks about grace. You know, interesting thing is just track the times when Paul talks about grace. Uh, when he says here, the grace of our Lord overflowed for me, he has to create a word, basically. He basically throws in a, a prefix, a superlative on top of a superlative. And he does this in other places. Uh, you might uh, remember Romans 5.20, uh, when he says the grace of God. Um, in the ESV, I think it just says something boring, like abounded all the more. But there's one version that says super abounded. Um, it's, it's like this grace, it just flows so much. It's so great that in order for Paul to describe it, he has to create new words. So he's saying it's overflowing. It's like it's, it's over overflowing. It's like really, really, really overflowing is, is the kind of the point that he's trying to describe. And the grace of God, which is God's gift to us, giving us what we do not deserve, is so wonderful that when Paul uh, describes it, uh, he, he has to create words, or in Ephesians, he says that the grace of God was lavished upon us, just richly poured out on us, more than we ever need. Um, Megan and Andrew live in Canada, not far from Niagara Falls. So you think of the grace of God, you think of just that gushing waterfall, that Niagara Falls of God's grace uh, pouring over us. Like you're not just going in for a shower, you're standing underneath Niagara Falls. That's the grace of God that comes on us. It is not just kind of what we need. It is everything we need and so much more that he pours out on us. And that's what Paul received. Paul, the person who was, who was persecuting Christians, who was proud of it, who was rebelling against God, received God's mercy and, and God's grace in overwhelming measure. And we see that with that, comes a faith and love that are in Christ Jesus that were poured out in him, the, the ability to believe, uh, the love of Christ manifesting itself uh, in Paul. And, and so Paul understood who he was. He knew who saved him. And then there's this wonderful saying that we see in, in verse 15. Uh, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. So a saying, a trustworthy saying, this was probably something that they knew and recited at some point, maybe a hymn. You know, sometimes we know a line from a hymn and you can start saying and everybody goes, oh yeah, yeah, I know that line from the hymn. Maybe something like that. There's several places actually in Paul's writings where he says, this is a trustworthy saying. And so it's not unusual for him to say this, but he's probably taking, taking something that they already know, they've already heard, putting it in his letter. And what we see there, the first part of it, is uh, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And so it is right at the heart of the gospel. Why did Jesus Christ come? There are lots of religions that believe in historical Jesus. But when you, when you make the difference and say Jesus didn't just come to be a prophet, he wasn't just a prophet, he wasn't just a great teacher, he wasn't just a historical person, the reason that he came was to go to the cross and take the wrath of God for sin so that you and I could receive his righteous life, so that the Father could look on us and see 
Christ. He looks on us and sees the righteousness of Christ and we can stand before him and we can go boldly before his presence because of what Christ has done for us if we receive Christ as our Savior. And as, as Jesus rose from the dead, so we have the assurance that we too will rise and be with him forever. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Now the next line of this, uh, some say the whole thing, this was the whole saying, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Some say, of whom I am the foremost, was a line that Paul added to it. I like that. I tend to like that more, but I can't prove it. In, in either way, it can't be proven. But regardless, Paul is, is embracing this and saying, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now, I am is interesting there because it's in the present tense. Now, before this, you're looking at, at what he's saying in verse 14, the grace of the Lord overflowed, and, and that's past tense. I received mercy. Um, he judged me faithful. But when he comes here, present tense, um, of whom I am, I am the foremost. So we stop there, and then we want to try to explain it because we want to say, well, wait a minute. So Paul isn't saying that he's the worst sinner at the time when he's writing this, right? Because he's the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's not literally the one who is committing more sin than anyone else on earth. So then the explanations go. Well, then we have to say, well, what is, what is he saying? Uh, but I think we need to understand that the present tense is there for a reason. He couldn't say I was the worst of sinners. And it's tempting for us, like Paul, to say, I was a terrible person. And then Christ saved me. And now I'm a good person, right? But sometimes when we do that, we start to give credit to ourselves because we start to say, well, God made this little course correction here and now I'm pretty good. But we lose sight of the fact of what he is currently doing in our lives and who we are apart from him. And you know, if you've been a follower of Christ for a long time, that when you first believed, you saw sin in your life. And then as you go further and further, you get convicted of more and more things, things you never even noticed before. You know, years ago, you wouldn't have even thought about this, but now you're convicted about this. And it's like the spirit just doesn't let us rest. He's still at work in us, isn't he? Until the day we go to be with Christ. And he's always finding new things. And so you never really come to a point and say, wow, I'm just, I'm wonderful. In fact, over time, you become more and more convicted of how terrible you are apart from Christ. That's how the Spirit works in us. But I think even more as Paul is looking at this, it's that thought that he understands who he is apart from Christ. He knows that everything that you see in him that is good is a result of Christ's work in his life. And apart from that, he is the worst of sinners. That horrible, vile person it is who Paul is apart from Christ. But with Christ, there is a change. And so when Paul says this um, and talks about being uh, the worst of sinners, I think he is looking at who he is uh, apart from Christ. And it's important that we have this, this concept that Paul does as well. I see him looking back at his calling, his salvation, and he is amazed. He's amazed constantly of what Christ has done for him. 
And one of the first things that we have to do if we are going to be messengers of the glorious gospel is we have to constantly be like Paul in awe of what God has done for us and not think of it as a small thing. The fact that he saved us, the fact that he took those of us who can never meet his standard and through Christ we become uh, righteous before God. The fact that he has, has sealed us, the fact that he has poured out his grace on us, it ought to be the kind of thing that we wake up to and marvel about um, every day, every day because of what Christ has done. And I don't know about you, but I don't do that enough. I don't do that enough. Um, you know, I, one of the things I get to see since being back from Russia that I missed a lot, living in Tacoma, uh, one of the most beautiful sites in Tacoma is Mount Rainier. And especially, there's a couple of sites. If you're driving along Ruston Way and you can see Mount Rainier kind of coming up over Tacoma, uh, there's another point where you're driving along the Puyallup River and you see it, and it is just an enormous mountain. It is so majestic. You're looking at it from sea level to 14,410 feet, snow-capped glaciers. It is one of the most beautiful sights in all the world. And I'll tell you, there's not one time when I'm driving and I look at that mountain that I don't go, wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. It's so wonderful to be here and see that mountain. And I see times where Paul is looking at the gospel as it is applied to his own life and saying, wow, this is amazing. This is incredible. I can't believe that God put me in this position. Paul many times calls himself the worst of sinners. The worst of sin, or not the worst of sinners, the, the least of the, he calls the worst of sinners here, the least of the apostles. I'm an apostle, but put me at the end. I don't really deserve to be. Not like any of the rest deserve to be either. But, but tell me this, if you're going to buy a product from somebody, if you're going to buy a product, you see advertisers on TV, right? You see a celebrity, hey, come use whatever, right? And it might make you want to buy it, but you know they're getting paid. And that's why they're telling you to do that. But doesn't it mean more when one of your neighbors who isn't paid, who has no motivation, said, says, hey, you need to use this. I, I, I can personally attest it is amazing. Well, in the same way, when we speak about the truth of the gospel, if we don't do it with the authenticity that says, my life has been changed and I'm amazed by it, people will see that. And so one of the things that keeps this fresh for us, and I think did for Paul also, is constantly understanding what Christ has done um, in our own lives. But I want to ask you another question. Why were you saved? Why were you saved? Why did Christ save you? We talk a lot these days about how much he loves me and and it's wonderful, and he wants me to be part of his family. And sometimes it's almost like it ends there. Like that he just kind of saved us so we could kind of hang out and kind of be a part of, of his church. And what? And what? But uh, I think that's why we need to see this next point and, and look, at, look at what Paul says in verse 16. But I receive mercy for this reason. That in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience 
as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So that in him, as a foremost, um, others might see the example of the perfect patience of Christ. So, in other words, Paul was saved, and we saw it there in Acts 9, didn't we? So that he could be used of God as an example to others who would believe. Now, we could look at this and say, great, I'm glad, Paul used, I'm glad God used Paul that way. But I would say to you, it is consistent with Scripture to say, that's actually what God does through all of us as well. Did you know that when he saved you, he had more plans for you than just for you to hang out? <laughs> that he had plans for how he was going to use you, what he was going to do through you. And he had plans to use you in the same way that he talks about with Paul here. Um, to be an example of his perfect patience. In other words, uh, people could look at Paul and say, Wow! If God could do what he did with Paul, he can save me. Or they could look at Paul, and, and we know from Paul's other letters, he wasn't a very impressive person physically, right? So you see this guy that's not very impressive, and you see what God does through this man, and you go, that could only happen with Christ. Or how could this man go from persecuting Christians to, to now uh, sharing the gospel of Christ and and even eventually giving his life for it. How can you explain that? It can only be explained through Christ. He became an example, a billboard, uh, uh, something that people could see. So that as he preached the gospel of Christ, he could say, look at my life. It's changed. I'm an example of what I'm preaching here. Is that something you can say? Can you point to how God has changed your life? What is there in your life today that can only be explained by Christ? What is there in your life that can only be explained by Christ? So if someone sees that, they say, all I can say is Jesus did that. There's no other explanation. It was that way with Paul. How else do you explain everything that Paul became except to say it was Christ? I think of this and, and I think of how God has used my wife over the years. And you may know her story. Um, I warned her that I was going to use her as an example, by the way, so I won't be in trouble. But I mean, Yulia, who was born a common Russian girl in Far East Russia, in a city where nobody in her family are believers, uh, and today um, she's... Wow, goodness, she's been a missionary in Russia. She has a seminary degree. Um, she, so she went from being a, uh, a girl who didn't know Christ, a non-Christian family, to uh, somebody that God brought through this pathway of training, you know, interpreting for a year at a Bible institute, coming to Christ during that time, um, meeting an American guy who happened to be a pastor, you know, coming to the States, getting kind of an education in Christ, like through a fire hose. But when she went back to Russia, she's, she's leading Bible studies. I mean, she was not the same person she was when she left. Uh, and she, I'm, I'm telling you, they miss her more than they miss me. It's the truth. And I've never seen someone that is so good at encouraging other people as my wife. 
Now, how can I explain that? I mean, when you see where she was to what she is now, how do you explain this? All you can say is, it's Christ. How does this change take place? And so it's important for us to see that, that God saves us and changes us so that he can put us in a position where we can be an example to others of his gospel. And we can share it and we can use ourselves as that example. And when you think about what a missionary is at its very basic core, that's it. We are people who are amazed by what God has done for us. And we can go and share his word and say, if you want to see an example, look at my life. Look at my life. I've been changed. And, and I can be an example of that. That's what we're called uh, that's what we're called to do. And uh, that's how God uses us. But the last part of this is also important. Paul says here, To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul goes directly to worship. He is so amazed by, by how God saved him, by how God uses him, by how this gospel works to transform people's lives that all he can do is express these words of worship, of highest praise for the God who saved him. And so all of this leads Paul to worship. And when you think of how God uses us, God changes us so that we can share his truth to others through his word and pointing to ourselves as an example, pointing them and us to worship God. And so we all come before God and say, God, you are uh, immortal, invisible, the only God. And to God in that process is honor and glory. That's the process that, that God works through uh, when he makes us messengers of the gospel. And I hope, I hope you can reflect and see how that can be you. Now, God moves us to a lot of different places everywhere. But no matter where he moves you or where he moves me, can you take time to daily thank him for what he has done for you? Can you, uh, can you find opportunities to share his truth with others through the word, through being an example, so people can see you and say, are you kidding me? What happened to you? You know, what's, what's going on? And it can only be explained by Christ. And can you worship the Lord and lead others to worship him and give him the praise and honor and glory that is due his name? It's not remarkably complicated. It's very simple. And it's what we're all called to do. I so appreciate the example of, of the Apostle Paul. And I pray that that same thing will work out uh, through each of us as God works in our lives. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for uh, just so many times in your word, Lord, the people that are examples. The people uh, like Paul, um, like David, like others who freely and humbly share their, their success, their failures, their journey with you so that we can see what it looks like. 
so we see how we see something we can follow and we can see and be encouraged by how your truth works, how your gospel um, saves us and puts us into service. Lord, I hope, pray that you'd help us to personalize this, to look at this as not only something that happened to Paul, but, but something that you are working through in each of us today. Thank you that you not only um, call us and, and that you not only save us, but you give us the privilege of serving you. You give us the privilege of testifying to others who you are. You give us the privilege of sharing. And thank you that through the blood of Christ that, that we are made righteous and we can come before you and worship. We can come before your throne and, and give you the honor and glory that you deserve. And we look forward to the day when we will do that, not just ourselves, uh, but with our church family, uh, with people, with all tribes and tongues from all over the world, uh, praising and glorifying you. What a day that will be. Lord, as we look to that day, help us to honor you and how we live our lives for you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.